All right, so here we go, Exodus chapter 29. We're going to start in verse 38 when we get there. But um, just so you know, we've been following the book of Exodus, and we've been praying, uh, paying, sorry, we've been paying special attention to how God is developing a people, right? What it looks like to be the people of God, how God is producing a people of God. And last week, we're introduced to the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is this big tent, okay? It's kind of a rectangle tent. It's got two rooms in it, the very small room. It's like a square room at one end called the Holy of Holies, then a little bit bigger rectangle room in the front called the Holy Place. And then outside of the tabernacle, there's this fence kind of around it away. So you picture a tent, a big tent, like not just like one you went camping with this week, unless it was from Costco, maybe it was that big, right? But a tent, and then there's some space, and then there's like a fence thing around the outside. Very similar to this pipe and drape that we use. Uh, but anyway, there's like outside of the tabernacle tent itself, but inside of that fence is called the courtyard, and that is still considered to be in the tabernacle. So, What's going to happen is what we talked about last week. God is going to self-limit his presence in order to dwell among his people. That was the whole purpose of the tabernacle. He said, build me a sanctuary that I might dwell among you. So that was the whole purpose, that he was going to subject himself to some specific limitations of time and space in order to dwell among his people. It's the same thing later happens in the temple of God as God limits himself that he might dwell among his people in the temple. And it's the same thing that'll happen even later than that in the person and work of Jesus. And that the divine presence limits himself or empties himself or denies himself to use New Testament language in order to dwell among his people. So God has a people. The people of God are experiencing his presence in a specific time and place. And so the question is this, what does it look like then for God to dwell among his people. I mean, that sounds very great, right? It's a very churchy thing to say. God wants to dwell among us. God wants to be in your presence. God wants to be here. But what does it actually look like when God dwells among a people? What does it look like to be the people of God whom God would dwell among? So what's happening? What, what tells us, like what clues should we be looking for if God is actually going to dwell among us? So that's what we're going to check out. That's the question we're going to ask. We're going to start in chapter 29, verse 38. Okay? So the picture that we get here is this tent is built. Out in front of the tent, there is an altar. We're inside the courtyard of the tabernacle, so inside the fence, but not in the actual tent. And they are offering sacrifices every single day on that altar out in front of the tent. So verse 38 is where we pick it up. This is what it says. The word of God says this. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering. And in the morning for a pleasing aroma for food offering to the Lord, it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So it's sometimes called the tent of meeting. Sometimes it's called the tabernacle um, before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. 
There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be a sanctif- and it shall be sanctified in my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Okay, so we have some answers here to our question. What does it actually look like? What actually happens when God dwells among a people? God says, build me a tabernacle so that I may dwell among you. And then look at this at the end of verse 42. Verse 42, head should be down. Where I will meet with you to speak to you. Do you see that in your Bible? You should underline it if you don't have it underlined in your Bible. That's a huge point. From this, we could draw the connection that God has been working towards this goal the whole time. He produced a people so he can dwell among them and he dwells among them so he can speak to them. That's the purpose. So whatever it means for God to dwell among his people, we definitely know that it includes speaking to his people. Or another way to say it would be this. God speaking to his people was supposed to be a regular part of his people's lives. It wasn't supposed to be a weird part. It was supposed to be the normal experience of the people of God was to be spoken to by God. Think about that. Like, this should be normal. This should be regular. This should be, we should expect to meet with God and hear God speak to us. It's always been that way for the people of God. We're only on page 40 of your Bible. This is the very beginning. There's a thousand pages in here. And on page 40, he's already set up a whole structure so that he can meet with and speak to his people. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. We just studied through the Bible a couple weeks ago and focused on the idea that our God is a speaking God. He identifies himself as a God who speaks. In fact, it's one of the things, one of the main things that separates him from the other gods is the idea that he is a speaking God. He is speaking to his people. Now, there's a lot of things that we could say about this, but the simplest and most meaningful idea here is that the people of God have always been a people who expect their God to meet with them and speak to them. We should be the people who expect our God to meet with us and speak to us. That that shouldn't be a rare occurrence. That shouldn't be out of the norm. Now, it might not happen every single time you expect it to happen, but it shouldn't never happen either. Now, I understand the fear that that might spark in some of you. Because immediately some of you hear that and be like, okay, God's supposed to speak to me. What if somebody does something weird, Jared, and they say that God spoke to them and told them to do it? Like, what do we do that? Because people do weird things sometimes and they say it was God telling them to do it. And because of that, some of us have reacted so harshly against that, that our Christian walk or our being the people of God never includes us hearing from God in a real way. It never includes us expecting to hear from God in a real way. It never, we, we do this thing, we're like, nope, nope. There's weird people who have done that. There's weird people who have done weird things with all sorts of stuff. Driving cars, using the internet, right? Makeup, all over the place, right? How many girls swore off makeup because you saw a girl with some weird thing on your face? No, right? But you do use it appropriately. And here, here's what I think is the key. 
When it comes down to God speaking to his people, handle it with humility. Handle it with humility. The biggest errors on both sides of this issue, the, oh yeah, God speaks to me all the time. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Oh, God never speaks to anybody like that ever. Like both of those errors are prideful and arrogant. When people don't handle this issue with humility, that's when we get this huge dogmatism and separation and division within the church. If you feel like God has spoken to you, handle it with humility. Yeah, I think maybe God might be leading us over here, right? Maybe God said this to me. I'm not quite sure. I, I'm, I'm pretty strong. I believe it. Ask somebody who loves you and loves Jesus. Measure it up with a scripture if that's necessary, right? And if you're on the other side of it, don't be like, ah, God doesn't do that anymore. Well, I don't know. Seems like he does it a lot in the scriptures. It seems like that is continually his pattern for interacting with his people throughout generation after generation that God dwells with and speaks to his people. And if we handle that with humility and love for one another, I don't think we can go wrong. But here's the thing. I think one of the hangups people have when we talk about God speaking to them is if, we're, if God were to speak to me, what do I believe he would say? Because some of you have this picture of God in your head that's angry and he's a little bit upset with you and he's a little impatient and he's like, come on, man, I've been talking to you about this thing and you can't get it figured out or I've been telling you to do this or you know you shouldn't be doing that and you keep doing it. And so you have this impatient, upset God who probably has his arms folded and maybe he's not saying a whole lot because he's kind of annoyed with you. That it's taken you so long to get this thing figured out. And his main message to you, if that's your picture of God, is basically do better and try harder. I think that's one of the hangups people have when they think about this idea of God speaking to them. Because if you have that picture of a God who's upset with you, or at least mildly annoyed with you, then of course you aren't gonna think he speaks to you very often. And if he does, he's probably gonna say something that's very upsetting or very not loving, which is pretty normal, right? If you went to church, maybe even this morning, and your friend was there and didn't say anything to you, it would be a normal question to ask. Did I upset you? Did, did I do something wrong? Is that why you're not speaking to me? Because I annoyed you somehow or I did something that you didn't like or didn't find pleasing? And so lots of people who have that understanding of God, they believe the posture of God towards them is angry, don't believe God speaks a lot. And when he does, he's very angry or at least mildly angry. It's more like, yeah, I mean, I love you, but you could, you could do a lot better, really? Come on. But if you believe what the Bible says, the Bible says our God defines himself by love. The Bible says our God loves to be merciful. The Bible says that giving grace, undeserved favor, is one of God's favorite things to do. It's not that sin's not a big deal to him. He died on the cross because sin was a very big deal to him. But it's not a big enough deal to him to forsake his relationship with us. So when God speaks to his people, his very highest priority is always relationship with his people. Now we get that wrong, right? Because we're like, well, God's probably like an angry math teacher is like, wrong, get better, do harder, right? Your math teacher didn't care about relationships. She just wanted you to know how to do math or I don't know, get you out of the class for the next year. Maybe I'm just saying that projecting because I know my math teacher didn't like me very much. But, 
God is not like that. He's always choosing relationship. I was actually talking to someone the other day and this guy says, you know what? I just, I felt like God was speaking to me at church the other day. And when I was praying, I felt like he told me I had to confess this sin and repent of it and get it out in the open and start walking in a new life. And then we're having this conversation and a little way through it, he's like, I think God's doing something awesome in my life. How amazing is that? Right? Even in the hardest probably message to hear from God that, hey, you do need to change and you do need to get this out in the open and you do need to confess and repent. This guy didn't feel beat down and annoyed, like God was annoyed or angry or arms crossed or any of that. He felt love and encouragement and that God was doing something awesome in his life. So if God wants to speak to his people as a normal part of their lives, I think it's important for us to think about how we perceive the posture of God towards us. If you think he's a little upset and irritated, you probably feel like he doesn't speak a lot. And when he does, he's mostly saying things you need to do better at and try harder at. But the God of the Bible is once again, love. He's joyful. He's peaceful. He's merciful and gracious and encouraging and upbuilding. And if you understand that, then it will probably shape your expectations of not only what you expect God to say when he speaks to you, but how often you expect God to speak to you. Does anybody have one of those friends in their lives that's just such an encouragement? Like you just hang out with them and you're just like, man, it's awesome to hang out with that person. Are they super quiet? No, they're like always saying like, hey, I appreciate you. Or good job on that. Or thanks for doing that. Or I saw when you did here, it's just good to see you. Right? Why do we not think of God like that? We're like, no, 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 God's way too serious for that, Jared. He's way too serious just to tell me he loves me on a Sunday. Like that's shallow Christianity. Is it? Or is it the God who's love and encouraging and upbuilding and gives gifts to the body for the building up of the church? Okay, so God speaks to his people, but there's one last piece that's super important. God meets with and speaks to his people for a purpose. He's not just speaking to speak, okay? We all know people who just speak to speak. Like, are you, I have family members who will keep talking whether or not you're listening. That's not God, okay? God is speaking for a purpose. Look at verse 45. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them, that I am the Lord their God. God speaks so that his people would know him. Do you get that? He's not just talking to talk. He's not talking so that primarily you would do better or try harder or get more things right or even have a better life. He is speaking that you might know him. God wants you to know him. He does not want to stay unknown by you. But if you're going to know God, there's two ways this is gonna happen. In our mission statement as a church, we have four steps of discipleship that we believe go all the way through the scriptures that we see over and over and over and over in the way God works in his people. And the first one is know God, then find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference. But in that knowing God, there's two aspects to knowing God. There's information and there's experience. If you don't know the right information about God, it's hard to know him, right? It would be hard for me to know my wife or claim to know my wife if I didn't know what color hair she had, right? I know my wife. She's amazing. What color is her hair? I'm, ah, right? There's some information I need to know. My anniversary date, her birthday, right? There's a few more too, right? There's some information I need to know if we're going to have a relationship. 
but we also have to experience life together. And it's no different with God, right? If you want to know God, there's some things, truth about God that you need to know. And we get that from the scriptures, but there's also some experience of life that you have to walk through. It's not just a know that. There's not just information about God you need to understand. There are moments and decisions and circumstances of life that you need to trust him in and surrender to him too, that you might know him experientially. Look at the end of verse 46. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. What is that? That's an experience, right? That's an experience of God walking his people out of slavery. And if you went through the story with us, you know how hard that was. There was moments when they felt lost. There were moments where they were confused. Were there were moments where they were fearful. There were moments where it didn't look like it was going to work out. They walked through the Red Sea. There were moments they were in danger. There's moments where they didn't have enough. There were moments that they had plenty. God provided food on the ground for manna. He provided water from the rock. He's done all of these things. Later on, it's going to tell them, for 40 years, their shoes don't wear out and their clothes still fit. It's amazing. But it's an experience of surrendering to and walking with God through life. So put it all together. God produces a people so he can dwell among them, so he can meet with and speak to them so that they might know him, both in understanding and experience. Here's the truth. God wants you to know him this morning. God wants you to experience him in your life. And I'm not talking about just some fuzzy, feel-good feeling, like, oh, I got hyped up because the worship music was good, or I felt really great about it. I'm saying actually knowing him. Maybe he wants to walk with you through a hard experience. Maybe he wants to answer your prayer. Maybe he wants to show you his goodness or faithfulness. Maybe he wants to show you how he can come through when you are obedient. Maybe he wants to walk with you through confession and repentance. Maybe he wants you to trust him with something you'd rather handle yourself in your own time and in your own way. I don't know what it is this morning, but I do know that true life is found when we not only correct, know the correct things about God, but when we experience and surrender to his goodness and walk with him through life. Amen.